Hi, and welcome back to Unsighted, the internet's least reliable English lit podcast. I'm Chantel. And I'm Amy. And are you ready to talk about ass? Ass. That's my acronym that I've made up. It's too bad it doesn't mean anything. Auden Shelley Shakespeare. God, fuck. Okay, yeah, <laughs> sure. Guys, sometimes <laughs> I come to these cold and, uh, okay. My favorite thing about it is that you came up with the three poems that we're doing in that order. Yes. Oh, goodness gracious. Okay. Well, you know, we got ass, I guess. Why have you thematically chosen these poems today, Amy? Well, I was going for them because I think they have like an interesting back drop no thoughts process about sorry i'm very distracted by ass <laughs> they have like interesting like themes about posterity and memory and how we remember people yeah they do and the other cool thing is if you want to write an essay but you have no time these are like really short easy poems yeah why do you think I picked them? I don't know. Okay. Ass. <laughs> yeah, Amy's a bit on a lot of pain meds right now. And if you hear weird rattling noise, it's the magic bag I have on my shoulder to stop my head from hurting. Uh, so if I sound, woo, it's because I am. You're doing great. I'm really proud of you. You're awesome. Thanks. So are you. Are we ready to talk about poem numero uno? Who's who's it? Who's who? <laughs> um, the first thing I would like to say about Who's Who by W.H. Auden is that this was a poem that we read in our first year survey course. So we were coming up with like mnemonic devices to remember how to match each writing work to the writer. For our exam. For our exam, because we had to. Not just for fun. Not because we wanted to. Like English majors do not have enough time on their hands to just be making mnemonic devices for fun. Bunsies. However, we did name the owl that lived outside our dorm room Auden. Yes. Because he goes, who's who? Yeah, he goes, who, 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 And we thought that was funny and cute. And uh, yes. Well, it worked also. It was effective. I remember it to this day. To this day, like literally almost eight years later yeah tragically this one is not in the public domain for us if we had waited until next september it would be but right now as of today it's not so we will need to summarize it because we can't read it but if you want to look it up it's like hella short so you can who's who wh auden i'm so mad <laughs> so this poem is about a famous person who had this complex and fascinating life but to his critic's surprise he pines after an ordinary person who doesn't even keep his letters. Yeah. So I think there's a few questions that I had before we get into the themes of the poem. Okay. Discussion questions, if you will. Oh, wow. Right. We're here now. Not actually. No. Who do we think the person is? Like the famous person? Do you think it's actually based off a particular famous person? I would say no, but it's more like the ideal of the famous person and the need to escape from famous tree. Mm. So it's like a placeholder, but maybe it is about a person and you will tell me. I also kind of think it's not about anyone in particular, but the source that I read was theorizing that it could be about Auden himself. Mm. Yeah, because he was a who's who in his own right. A who's who is like a like the A-listers. Like the who's who of Hollywood. Yeah, so like the important people of Hollywood. Hollywood or for the use of today, you know, like your top page on TikTok. I don't know how TikTok works. Your TikTok house stars. We're, we're too old for this shit. <laughs> so 
Yeah, he was popular in his own right when he was alive. And I can imagine how fame might not be something you actually want, even when you have it. And I think this is a good poem for that. Like, despite how famous we are, you and I, from our very famous podcast. Yeah, of course. I actually wouldn't want to be famous because I feel like that would be really annoying. Yeah, I don't have the personality style to be famous, <laughs> which I think a lot of famous people also don't have. Like, I think about, like, John Green does not want to be famous. Oh my gosh, yeah. I think about, like, Elise Myers from the Instagram slash TikTok, who, like, is just super awkward as a person, like, my star in my life right now. Uh, and I'm just like, yeah, like, I can see how fame is not coming necessarily, like, as a fun thing for her. But I feel like that would be us. So maybe Auden didn't want to be famous. Who knows? Who knows? The famous person doesn't seem to have a great life in this poem. No. Like, he had a very complex history where he was abused as a child. It is kind of written as, like, a history. So maybe it's not Auden. And no, and it doesn't need to be a person so much as, like, it can just be the narrator, you know? Yeah. The subject of the poem, because the narrator is third person. Right. But also of note is the ordinary person listed is not gendered, and Auden was gay. We love a gay (laughs) <laughs> we love a gay we love one gay that adds like a twist to it i think a twist those twists hear me out not a sponsor so like imagine you're in like the 40s give or take right and you you're gay and you write these letters to this person who may or may not be gay or but you're still in love with them and um this love that's not being reciprocated has like a different tone now you know it's not just somebody doesn't love me but it's also like maybe it's not a love that can be happening whether for societal reasons or because the person's just like not returning those feelings Mm. i mean that is possible but also in this time it was quite stigmatized to be gay so you'd have to be really careful about who you revealed that to like you couldn't openly be pining after someone who didn't want to be pined after and was going to be like a homophobic douche about it. I know and like so many authors had these like close friends which were like these lovers and I feel like these roommates. They were roommates. Um, Like this beginning of like those kinds of like friendships air quotes. They're companions. Instead of going in the and they were roommates way it's like and they never spoke again way you know yeah maybe maybe second this one actually is kind of a discussion question okay which of these two characters the famous person or the ordinary person do you think the poem is more sympathetic to hmm how would you define sympathetic like who is the audience supposed to side with well that would depend on who the audience sees themselves more with you know yeah no you're right because what i wrote is that on first glance, we would relate to the ordinary person. Right. Because we're ordinary people. But if it's a famous person reading it, maybe the famous person's like, oh yeah, this famous person is like just my chill dude. Or like, you know, are you the person who's pined or are you the one who's been pined on? That's a good point too. So it goes back to like those kinds of, we have that background and like, are you the dumper or the dumpy? See Nuzzle House An Abundance of Catherine this episode. I was going to bring that up. Um, <laughs> but I think like you can be sympathetic to both. Because I think there's agony in both senses, like, right, like the famous person here has not gotten necessarily a life that's been fun. Definitely not. Like, was abused, ran away from home. Yeah. So I think there's a lot there to be said about, like, you know, even famous people can have their traumatic backgrounds. Famous people. They're just like us. They're just like us with more money sometimes. But at the same time, you know, like, I feel very empathetic to this person who's been pined on and who's just, like, not feeling it because it's really awkward when somebody's pining after you and you don't like them back. 
No, I get that. My source made the point that throwing out other people's letters isn't very sympathetic. But as someone who's had people write letters to me yeah. that I didn't request or want, um, you know, I threw them out. <laughs> and that's the thing. I don't feel bad for the famous person not being loved by the ordinary person. That's not like where my sympathy comes from. It's more so that, you know, they have to do these like bids to try and find normalcy and they're not finding it. You know, like I don't care about the rejection so much as like the feeling that they need to find ordinariness. Because they're ordinary in every sense. Yeah. According to this, they can hum a tune. They can't sing. Yeah. They can potter around their garden. Yeah. What else can they do? It doesn't mention anything. They answer some of the letters, not all of them. Meanwhile, this famous person really went through it, overcame that became like recognized and revered in their field yeah i don't know i think the famous person seems like the one that the poem is sympathizing with i don't know if he needs to be the one that we're sympathizing with i would agree i also like i think sometimes this kind of stuff with you know famous versus ordinary it's also like a thought of like your past self like the life you could have had so i think there's something there about like like are these letters to one's past or like alternate self maybe Mm -hmm. you know you write these long marvelous letters right to your past self for example and there's some stuff that you you make do with you take to heart you know these lessons you've learned there's other stuff you just have to throw away yeah so there's maybe something there as well like it might not necessarily be about external love maybe it's also about internal love you know yeah no that's a good point and then to your other point about posterity and memory like it talks about the famous person's critics and it talks about him as kind of a past figure yeah so it's like the famous person's the one who got remembered we don't remember anything about the subject of his love yes but also their letters no longer exist yeah they've been lost to posterity posterity here by the way fyi means like the future i guess like if you write something and it lasts for a long time like if you're doing it for posterity as in you're doing it for like future generations yeah like why count rugen was torturing wesley yes yes for posterity for posterity's sake so i think this idea of like who's who and like being remembered and all that kind of stuff is interesting because like you remember them as a who's who but you don't remember them as a person because their letters are gone Mm -hmm. very interesting so i like this poem yeah but what would you rate this poem out of five thrown away love letters like a four like four yeah i think it has a lot of angles yeah like an octagon yeah it's got a lot of angles got a lot of angles and i think i like i just i like auden as a person. Yes. I was going to talk about Shelley next. Yeah. But I think that this leads really well into Shakespeare's Sonnet 81. Yeah. Let's put fucking Percy B. Shelley in the background for a second. Let's put Shelley on the back burner and we'll talk about our boy Willie Shakes. Willie Shakes. So I think we've said everything about Willie Shakes that I want to say for now, unless you have anything to add about him. Or her. Or them. No, I don't have anything else. Like, if you're not familiar with Shakespeare by now, we have other episodes. Yeah, if you want to hear more about us talking about Willie Shakes, you can see our episodes on Twelfth Night, A Midsummer Night's Dream, Hamlet, or Macbeth. Or you can wait till next week because we're going to be having on Glenn and Gertie Nuzzles to talk about his most famous play, but more about that later. But yeah, this one is not a play. It's a sonnet. Baby's first Shakespeare sonnet. Our first Shakespeare sonnet is one that I had not read. Really? Until yesterday. But I can talk about his sonnets as a whole. So he has three groups of sonnets. Yes. Is how critics organize them. So the first group is poems 1 to 126. They're called the Fair Youth Sonnets. They're addressed to a young man. My source says he has a deep 
friendship with this young man. It's like, mm, okay. And they are roommates. Then there's poems 127 to 152, the Dark Lady Sonnets, addressed to a mysterious woman. I don't know why the young man doesn't get to be mysterious, but whatever. That's reserved. Because he's young. They can only have one qualifier. They can have one adjective. <laughs> yeah. You're young or you're mysterious. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in the young phase of life. And then next I'll be in the mysterious phase of life. Correct. Yeah. Your, your 30s are just mysterious. Mysterious, flirty, and thriving. <laughs> yes, exactly. 100%. Sorry, that's three adjectives. So that's incorrect. Well, you know what? I'm here for the 13 going on 30. <laughs> and then sonnets 153 and 154. That's only two sonnets. I don't know why they get their own category, but they're called the Greek sonnets. And they are about the Roman myth of Cupid, who Shakespeare or the speaker of these poems has apparently compared to his muses before. So we get to hear about that for like how many lines are in? 14. For 28 lines. We get yeah. 28 lines about Cupid. So it's whatever. Anyway, we can read this one because Shakespeare has been dead for more than 50 years. Shocking. I know. But I think it's too soon, you know? Like we're cutting in a little bit close, but I think maybe we'll be fine. Uh, so this poem goes. Sonnet 81 by Shakespeare. Or I shall live your epitaph to make, or you survive when I in earth am rotten. From hence your memory death cannot take, although in me each part will be forgotten. Your name from hence a mortal life shall have, though I once gone to all the world must die. The earth can yield me but a common grave. When you, entombed in men's eyes, shall lie, your monument shall be my gentle verse, which eyes not yet created shall o'erread. That's us. And tongues to be your being shall rehearse when all the breathers of this world are dead. Which is supposed to rhyme with read. You still shall live, such virtue hath my pen, where breath most breathes, even in the mouths of men. Or people of indeterminate genders. Man here stands for humankind. It's super sexist. <laughs> so yeah, so that's that. It is referenced in a Bastille song, and oh. it is my favorite sonnet. Bastille is what Amy likes to call the band Bastille. That's because that's the word. I know this. They don't know this. Anyways, it's this song called... It's called Poets, probably. <clears throat> um, and it uh, talks about how uh, I have written you down now and you shall live forever. Mm. It is one of my favorite sonnets, if not my favorite sonnet. That's awesome. Yeah, I thought this one was a really good kind of segue from what we were talking about with Auden, because he's talking about how we will forget him, but remember the subject of his poem. Like the speaker's poems are forgotten, but people are like, nah, who's this mysterious person he was into? And you know, he's right. Like who's Shakespeare? I don't remember. <laughs> Who knows? No one knows Shakespeare. See, what if Shakespeare was not Shakespeare, but it's just the name that they gave themselves based on the person they loved? Actually, the young man, the fair youth sonnets are to a man named Shakespeare. And then the dark lady sonnets are to a woman also named Shakespeare. <laughs> And then Cupid's name is also Shakespeare. Correct. Isn't it ironic that we do remember Shakespeare, but we have no idea who they're like who Shakespeare is talking about. Yeah, because he didn't bother to name that person in the poems. Yeah. Scholars be like, but who is it? Who it be? Who it be? I don't love how he's talking about our tongues. He's making me very self-conscious as he's talking about us in the poem. He's like, yeah, people generations from now will be reading this poem aloud on their podcast. And I'm like, how do you know about podcast Shakespeare? 
Shakespeare. You live in, in the 17th century. Yeah, there's a lot of conversation to posterity, you know, look to us, mm-hmm. which is fun. You know, I think it's so this love isn't necessarily unrequited here. We scratch that out for our, our comparison, but it does have this like effigy type of idea to it in the sense that like the sonnet presents the topical person as someone who is a who's who. Yes. Which I like, even though we don't know who they are. Yeah, we don't know who they are, but you're correct. And I like the idea here that because we have this written word, this person will live on, whereas in the other poem, in Who's Who, we no longer have the written word and therefore we do not know anything about the person who the letters were sent to. Yeah, it's a weird, like, effigy to himself. Yeah, it could also be, like, an effigy uh, to himself. He's like, yeah, I'm alive now, but I'm gonna be dead and we're gonna talk about that and you have to listen to it. Yeah, there's a lot of, like, mortality here and, like, how we remember people after they're gone. Um, If Mm -hmm. I think of from hence your memory death cannot take like it's this wanting to be remembered for hundreds and thousands of years is something that humankind has been tackling with for centuries years millennia eons Mm, yeah something we don't need to worry about anymore no and i think (laughs) tying back to the famous people thing like fame is a way to be remembered right like sure like there's money and whatever but you also know like we like we still talk about marilyn monroe yeah you know and like we still talk about shakespeare like there's this level of being famous is like an obsession with being remembered. That's an interesting way to look at it. If you're like, yeah, I need to make my mark. Yeah. Then that's inherently like you want to be remembered. Yeah. And I think back to uh, An Abundance of Catherine, see Nuzzle House episode Abundance of Catherine. <laughs> like Colin from An Abundance of Catherine's was obsessed with being remembered in famous last words. Yes. Like, that was his whole thing. But like, I don't know the last words of the people in my family. But I could Google today what was the last words of Abraham Lincoln and I could probably find something. I think you've gotten to an interesting other point that we sometimes feel like we know famous people more than we know people who we know in real life. 100%. There's a huge parasocial aspect here. Yeah, parasocial. That's the word. Like, I know things about famous people that I don't know about relatives of mine like their relationship goings on and like their childhoods yeah i know more about like chrissy teigen's problems with fertility than i do about like my friends who have recently given birth yeah not that i need to know every detail of their lives or whatever but like especially with social media these days like there's just Mm -hmm. so much being shared all the time and why do we share to remember and to be remembered and i feel like the sonnet kind of acts in a way as like that instagram post for somebody else you know like when you have like somebody's birthday and you post like on your wall about their birthdays right Mm -hmm. like it's to have that memory anchored into word into space forever right yeah hot take shakespeare sonnets are an instagram post yes but also i think we've lost a lot of this like i know there's tons and tons of poets and writers and whatever who were famous at the Mm -hmm. time and we have no idea who they are because they didn't make it into the canon but i think there's a lot more of that feeling for us where like we see all these people from hundreds of years ago Mm -hmm. and then if you look at like an Instagram post it's like okay well that's not going to make it several hundred years from now first of all because we're humanity's going to end and whatever but Mm -hmm. like that platform is just very fleeting like even it now you look at it you scroll it's gone forever yeah and that's an interesting point because here they talk about like the first line is or I shall live your epitaph to make and epitaphs are carved into stone, right? Yes. 
So there's a permanency here that the speaker is like putting down. They're like, these words are permanent. These words will be carved into stone. Your memory will be carved into stone. We will always remember you. Mm-hmm. Like Kim Kardashian's ass wasn't carved into stone. No. And like, that's the thing. There's so much going on on social right now. Everybody's like, oh, if it lives on the internet, it lives forever. And I'm like, try to find my old MySpace. I can't. <laughs> yeah. Like try to find my old DeviantArt. I don't think it exists anymore. Like, sure, it might exist, but there's so much volume of content. And there's so many people on earth. Even the famous people have a smaller circle than they would have if it wasn't a digital sphere. In the sense of like, everything's so fleeting. Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. It's the opposite of what most people would think. Yeah. But like people's close circles who really understand them are getting smaller and people's larger parasocial circles have the opportunity to get bigger for a shorter amount of time. Yes. And you know, like in, I don't know how many hundred years you know we're not gonna remember the famous people from right now oh yeah definitely one there's so many and like two there's gonna be more you know it's a 15 minutes of fame for a reason yes so it's, it's weird that we're talking about famous people so much but like in the the sonnet here like you know the earth can yield me but a common grave like even the speaker who we can interpret as like being shakespeare for example we're not gonna but we could like who we see as like one of the greatest poets to ever live still is gonna be buried in the ground like everybody else Mm-hmm. It's not where I wanted to go with this, but it's where I went. Yeah, we had a really good and deep and unique discussion about kids these days and social media and the meaning of fame. Yeah, but to go back to this whole like epitaph thing and things that are being like solidly put into the world to like be remembered and stuff, that ties really well with our next poem. So I don't want us to lose that. Ooh. Okay, so before we get into that, what would you rate this poem on a scale of one to seven epitaphs? What's well, my favorite sonnet so i have to put it as seven okay what would you rate it though because you didn't read it before i think it's perfect and i have no changes for it so i would give it a five out of seven which is a perfect rating <laughs> okay okay no it like it's not my favorite shakespeare sonnet but anyway epitaphs monuments things that last forever percy shelley god why um <laughs> okay no before i know you're doing that but i did some research because so did I. i'll tell you why because we did a bracket contest for the worst literary figure yeah on Twitter and Percy Shelley won or lost whatever but he was the worst yeah he beat out Dante Gabriel Rossetti (laughs) who kicked his more talented sister out of his boys club (laughs) he beat out Edgar Allan Poe who was literally a southern confederate he beat out Rochester who locked his wife in an attic for 10 years so surely he must be really bad so I said oh wow I don't really know that much about Percy Shelley I wonder what his deal was Jesus Christ he is annoying sure but I looked him up he's actually awesome. Well, okay, I read a lot about him as well while I was nursing my pain. And while he has really good ideologies, he is a shitty ass person. He married two 16 year olds. Ooh, gross. So did Edgar Allan Poe though. Two. But yeah, no, that's really gross and yucky. I didn't know that. I'll tell you his ideologies, which is why I thought he was cool. And then you can tell me more about why he's bad and just prove everything I just said. Okay. So he was a free love hippie. He was in a polyamorous relationship with his wife, Mary Shelley and Lord Byron, which we of course knew. Oh, and also, 
about another guy named Hobbes. Fun. He was also a feminist influenced by his late mother-in-law, Mary Wollstonecraft. He was a pacifist. He was an atheist. He was a vegetarian. And he was a low-key socialist. Yeah, I mean, he was a pacifist in the sense that he never thought like uh, fighting for anything was good and then he changed his mind later on to like, sometimes you do have to use violence. Yeah, I feel like he would have been one of those people being like, sure, your beliefs are good, but I can't support your methods of protest. Exactly. That's exactly the kind. And he actually was doing that. He was doing that with the Irish Revolution. Yeah. No, so he had really good ideologies in that sense, I guess. At surface level, if you just list them off like that, they sound really good. The thing that I was reading was like, he was a political extremist. He was all these things, a feminist, a pacifist, a vegetarian. I'm like, whoa, so extreme. Who would be like that? Who would be like that? An atheist, a socialist? Whoa. Never before seen in one person. (laughs) Yeah. So like he married his first wife, Harriet, and then eventually she had like a kid and he basically just like abandoned her. He wasn't a huge amount of debt. He basically stole Mary Shelley. How? Well, they eloped together, but he didn't actually marry her. He was still married. Ew. Yeah. How old was he when he did this? So he died when he was 29, so he was fairly young. Okay, still. He probably was in like his early 20s, but like still young. He had like numerous affairs and not like necessarily like consensual other relationships. Oh. Like he would just, no. He would just find other people and he like encouraged Mary Shelley to have relations with his friends. No coercion. Which is fine if that's what they were into and that's what they all agreed to. If everyone's into it. But it seems like he has had a lot of like kids from various partners and he was a very anxious person who made a lot of terrible decisions. Had good ideologies but like was a flawed human being. Also he was not good at editing Frankenstein. (laughs) He was really bad at it. Like he saw himself as like a scientist for most of his life. Like he did like random science experiments at Eaton. Well, he sure wasn't a good writer, so maybe that was his calling. Yeah, and then he kept having, like, panic attacks, which, like, I can relate to, but that does not excuse his weird, like, he was always in debt, always asking for money for people, not, like, taking care of his people either. Like, he just moved everyone around all the time. Like, I was reading about his life, and it was just like, we moved here, we moved here, we've moved here, and I'm like, where are you? Percy Shelley, where is he now? Yeah, he also was not famous when he was alive. But he, no, he was, because wasn't that why he was allowed to edit Frank? because he was already an established writer. So he was established in the sense that like he had his like cohort of people who knew about him and stuff like his peers. Uh huh. But he didn't get famous until after he died. Oh my god. So he was like my wife, my dear, my darling, you've written this really good and lovely and talented book. I also wrote a zine that five people read. So I'm going to edit your book and make it bad. 250. But yeah, he did objectively make it worse. Um, also, our listener, Anne, shout out to Anne, noted that Percy Shelley seems like the type of person who had progressive ideologies. So he could be like, look how progressive I am. I'm so progressive. I'm the best. Yeah, I think that's a lot of his like romantic ideology was probably like, I am going to be a free spirit because I want to be. And that's cool without thinking about how it affected people around him. That's like the cool thing to do. And we don't need to think about like other people and what they want. Yeah. He died in a boating accident. Did he? Yeah. When he was 29? Yep. Hmm. They uh, built a boat and the boat was not seaworthy. Got caught in See, this is what I mean. Because he thought he could do these things, but you just can't, Nemo. Yeah, basically. Like, he thought he was a good writer. He thought he could edit Frankenstein. And he thought he could build a boat. Well, no, he had a boat built. They all sunk. So... I don't know, he's flawed. I don't trust him with Frankenstein, but this poem's kind of fun. So speaking of this poem, yes. Would you like to read it, Amy? Here's Ozymandias by Percy Bysshe Shelley. Is it Bysshe? 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 
Son of a bish. Percy B. Shelley. I met a traveler from an antique land who said, two vast and trunkless, two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Near them, on the sand, half sunk a shattered visage lies, whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command tell that its sculptor, well, those passions read, which yet survive, stamped on these lifeless things, the hand that mocked them and the heart that fed. And on the pedestal these words appear, my name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty and despair. Nothing besides remains round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away. Thanks, bro. So my partner, Ethan, said that this is Percy Shelley's best poem. And you know what? It's still kind of mad to me. It's like his most well-known one, I think, because it's often read in high school. Okay. But yeah, I mean, I hate it because I read it in high school, so. It's fine. Like, it's, it's fine. You know, yeah. like, I don't think there's anything super special about it. But now that I know that he advocated for, like an end to aristocratic privilege and a more equal distribution of wealth. Those themes seem obvious to me. Mm -hmm. Like it's just about the fall of a dickish king who wanted to lord his wealth and power over everybody. It's literally about Ramses II. Oh, can you give us history lesson on that? Yes. So he was a pharaoh in like the 1200s. BC. Correct. And he was buried in a tomb in the Valley of Kings. And then uh, eventually uh, some of his body slash remains were moved to the British Museum as uh, as things happen that way that's how percy decided to write about him yeah so apparently he's the one who decided to build the pyramids is he the one in the prince of egypt who will not let moses's people go in popular culture does not say apparently he was one of the greatest and most celebrated pharaohs huh well Okay, so apparently Exodus did have King Ramses II in mind when they were talking about the Pharaoh in the Moses story, in the Exodus. Mm. You know, yeah. the Exodus from Egypt. Yes. So that's interesting. Yeah, but here's the fun part about this is there's these tombs and monuments built for him, right? And he's immortalized in this poem. And what do we know about him? Not much. Um... Like you and I, I mean. Good question. You know, like we, we've had to f look into it because we're not hip on the history of all the things. I know that he makes a very mean cartoon character. Yes. And a very bad biblical figure because he did lots of slavery to make the pyramids. Yes. I mean, that's also just like most of Egypt for that time period. Yeah, it was still not good. Not good. It's not an excuse. Not an excuse, just an explanation. Everyone else was doing the slavery, so. Yeah, it's fine. No, it's not fine. So this poem talks about this travel who it's a fucking frame narrative for starters ew gross <laughs> so it talks about like this this traveler who's seen this like monument to ozymandias ramses ii that was that's one of his other names and they talk about like this monument and how like it's like in this valley of sand without like anything else around it and it's falling into disrepair and nobody's caring enough really to like fix it right yeah so here we have this person who was famous enough in his time to get like this huge monument built for him and posterity didn't even think of keeping up with making sure that it survives much like epitaphs it's his epitaph it's in stone yes and it's not surviving and it's not oh my gosh okay so i just looked in popular culture and it lists both the prince of egypt and ozymandias so that's fun good stuff but yeah that's about like power and privilege and wealth are temporary they are fleeting they are an instagram post you can put up a statue but maybe it will fall into the 
the sands or maybe it will get torn down because you were a big old racist. And maybe it'll get stolen and put in a museum for Percy B. Shelley to write about. Yeah. Also, it's interesting that you brought up frame narratives because when he edited Frankenstein, I don't know if it was originally supposed to be a frame narrative, but Frankenstein post Percy Shelley edit was also a frame narrative. Yes, that's why I brought it up. So yeah, and I feel like, you know, even in this poem, the speaker of the poem, the person who's meeting the traveler is learning about these monuments, this epitaph, if you will, through like a second party. So people are still talking about him. So at least there's that. That's actually makes it less effective, I think. <laughs> I mean, he's he's like the only one who has a name. Like he's the only person that we're remembering who has a name. Like Shakespeare's subject had no name. Who's whose subject had no name. But Ozymandias is a person. So there's that. That's one of the differences between all of them, I find. But it's still very much about, you know, being remembered and being remembered for being famous and to what extent does that fame and the nitty-gritty of everything you've done really permeate through, you know? Like, for the who's who, we know nothing about the lover. For Shakespeare's sonnet 81, we know nothing about the the subject person because their name's not written down, their story's not written down. Mm -hmm. It's this idea of like, I've written you down and you will live forever, but nobody's ever going to know anything about you. They're going to speak about you in ways that, you know, don't actually remember you. And then here we have this person who has a monument, who has a name, and it's falling into disrepair as well. Yeah, and we didn't know who he was. We do now, though, and there are movies about him. The poem seems to be saying that he's not remembered, even though he kind of is now. But I think all three poems also are implying or saying that a certain person will be remembered and a certain person won't, and they're all incorrect, except maybe who's who. Yeah, it's the, the need to be remembered. It's permeating through, like, these three different poems, which were written in three very distinct parts of time. Like, Shakespeare's a Renaissance stuff, Shelley's, like, the 1800s, who's who's in, like, the, you know, mid-1900s. So, like... Yeah, Shelley's, like, Victorian, right? Yeah. And, like, the Shelley poem actually, in theory, dates back to ancient Egypt, right? So this idea of needing to be remembered is such, like, an ingrained human value Mm -hmm. that we're still talking about it. We're still writing about it. It's like one of the reasons people say that you should have kids if you are not having kids. Like one of the reasons they'll bring up is who's going to take care of you when you get old? Who's going to remember you after you die? So it's still pervasive today. Yeah. Amy, what would you rate this poem on a scale of a beautiful monument to a broken statue of a rich jerkwad? A casted sculpture. So like, you know, when you go to museums, sometimes the actual sculptures aren't put on. They're just cast like molds. Yeah. One of those. Because it's cool and everything, but like, it's not the real deal, right? Like it's, I don't know. I think it brings in a lot of interesting topics about remembering and, you know, how life goes on and how, you know, to a certain extent, nature retakes everything, blah, blah, blah. But it's a little full of itself. Mm -hmm. Just like the um, nature takes back everything 2011 Tumblr posts, it is pretty of itself yes it's unnecessarily pretentious yeah and i think shelly like the speaker here seems to be obsessed with their own remembering like why write an entire poem about remembering a king of egypt if you're not also obsessed with being remembered i mean yeah because it's not even about ozymandias it's i met a traveler from an antique land it starts with i it's it's about the i in the end yeah there is a speaker and the speaker does detract from the message of the poem it's like here's this king who's never going to be remembered and it's like well you're having a conversation about him right now and then you're telling us about it so isn't he inherently being remembered but whatever it's ineffective to have this 
speaker there, he has the speaker there for a reason. Yeah. And I just, I find, you know, the half-sunk, shattered visage, like the fact that posterity didn't even think of taking care of this sculpture enough for it to survive. It's lost to sands and time. Yeah. Kind of like the identity of everybody else and all the other poems we've read is lost to time. Yeah. So. Thank you, Amy. Thank you for bringing those poems to us. Of course. Glad I could help. So we will be talking, I don't know if you've heard, but we will be talking about Shakespeare again next week. Yes. And dun 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 dun. That's drum roll. We will be having on Glenn and Gertrude Nuzzles from Nuzzle House to talk about the much anticipated Romeo and Juliet. Well, hot dish. Woo. <laughs> but yeah, that'll be fun. That'll be a hoot and a half. And then I'll put up a poll on the Twitters. So please vote on which of these poets you would like to see more of in the future. And maybe we will talk about them. Yeah, we're not making any commitments. Thank you. (laughs) But we love you and we appreciate your input. And we love to hear from you. So if you do want to talk to us, you can do so at UnsightedPod on Twitter and Instagram. Don't email us because we don't have an email. And if you leave us a five-star rating, we will definitely read the review that goes along with that five-star rating. Just hint, hint, nudge, nudge. You can do that on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, Good Pod and on Spotify. Yeah. You can't leave a review there because Spotify is behind on the times, but that's what I use, so no judgment. You don't need words when you have stars. Stars are not forever, but they are close to. Close to. For posterity. Yes. Stars are the ultimate posterity because you can see them after they die. Just tying it all back. Good stuff. Thank you so much for listening. We hope to see you again in two weeks. And as always, we're excited. Unavailable. Now you're in my ears. Hello, how does it feel? Soft. Soft. Soft in your ears, yes. Do you need me to put the volume up? No, it just feels soft in your ears. They're just physically soft. Okay. Um... (laughs)